0: Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. With me, as always, is Alex. Hey, how's it going? We have a special guest, Vlad.
1: Hey, guys. And Vlad is with the Another Indie Publishing Studio, and we're here today to talk about Sinner: Sacrifice for Redemption. A pretty interesting project, especially for me and Zach, because we're so big into the Souls-like games. And this one kind of tickles that itch while also providing some really interesting mechanical ideas. So we're really glad to have you on the show, Vlad, and I can't wait to talk up center with you.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
1: So before we get started, let's uh, talk about what we did last time, a couple notes to hit on. We did go through a pretty in-depth analysis of Kingdom Hearts 1 with my stepbrother, Marshall Grog. That was really cool. It's always a pleasure to have him on.
0: Yes. We also have launched our new Patreon page. We're new to Patreon, so it probably looks a little different than your standard business one, but it's going to be improving every day, along with our Discord and our website.
1: I'm really excited about the Discord especially, because you've been putting in some hours on it, and it's really starting to come together. Yeah,
0: I'm just really, really bad at collar-picking.
1: So I guess uh, now we'll just jump straight into center. So I guess the first question, Vlad, is really kind of give us an idea of how you got into another indie and what role you play and that kind of stuff.
2: Oh, well, it was super random because I used to work at EA Games back in the day, eight, nine years ago. But with another indie, I was in China at that point in time. I was just I just graduated my university course, just translation interpretation. And then one evening, I was sitting at home, and one of my buddies sent me a message. Was like, "Hey, you want to hang out this Thursday? Just just come to my bar. We have like a board game night." And I was like, oh man, I'm too lazy to go, but I had nothing else to do. So I went and there I met my colleague who was already working, one of the co-founders of the company. Turns out that the office of the company was really near my current place at that time. And they told me like, hey, we just got all this uh, new VR stuff. Coming in, you know, the the Oculus dev kit uh, and the Samsung Gear VR. That was like three, four years ago. And he was like, "Ah, oh, just come by an office and check it out. So I went and uh, we played a bunch of games. And uh, I just came in, hanged out a couple of times, and then they offered me a job. <laughs> That's wow. awesome.
1: So it was really kind of like circumstance that led you into it. I mean, you obviously had the skills to back it up, but you just kind of lucked into it, it sounds like.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then three weeks later, I was on a plane to Singapore to Casual Connect. <laughs> it's, it, it's it's a gaming convention yeah, for, for indie games.
1: I think I've heard of that one, actually, because I've been to PAX East at least once. And there was, I think, a couple folks advertising Casual Connect.
2: Yeah, because they, they do it worldwide. There's a few in Asia. They swap destinations between like Hong Kong, China, Singapore. And then they also do it in Europe. And they also have it in few different states in America. There's five of them every year. They, they like swap the location. Nice. So how we got involved with Sinner was the developers came to us first with, with the prototype of the game. Everybody really liked the game, but only one of our team members can actually beat it, beat it. Because I'm really bad. I suck at Souls games. I never have patience nor the skill. Like I can sort of play Bloodborne, but that's about it. Like Dark Souls, I tried and it's very cringy to watch.
0: I'm opposite. I'm not very good at the Bloodborne, but I'm tediously impatiently cut my way through Dark Souls
1: i remember when you did we talk about that a lot and we've actually attempted to do a lot of the bloodborne specifically on like streams and such and it's been a lot of fun uh we got maybe halfway through it together and then i think i did a couple of the optional bosses and stuff
0: yeah it's been great
2: yeah with with sinner it was a bit easier for me because we had to QA it so much and test the game in so many ways throughout the period of two years it wasn't development that I'm good at the game now, but in the beginning, oh my god, I couldn't even beat a single boss. Because when we got the prototype, we only had the Greed, the wizard with the poison clouds, and then we had Pride, the knight with the tower shield. So we only had those two bosses, and that's it. And the next one they did was Envy, and Envy is one of the hardest. It's the, it's the one when she splits into different ones at the end, and you yeah, to fight both. Yeah. That was one I, like, attempted at least all the
1: bosses. I think I've only beaten Gluttony. But whenever I got to Envy, they split, and I was like, oh, no, this is starting to play notes of uh, Schmo and the other guy in the first dark souls
0: oh no two really big tough enemies at once envy was boss number two for me figuring out the fight kind of helped me figure out how to fight everything else in the game yeah up until then it was like oh yeah this is this is okay a little hard holy shit all the dark souls tuck and roll and then i got to envy and hated my life for about two hours but lauren sat there watching me like huh this is great So Vlad,
1: did you see yourself being a publisher of some of these more challenging games or what sort of games were y'all working on before Sinner came through?
2: Uh, with another indie, you know, we had Lost Castle then, which is a 2D roguelike side-scroller RPG type of game. And that one is actually the number one best-selling game out of China. We're getting close to 2 million copies sold worldwide. And it's in that top percent of best-selling games on Steam. Wow. But the funny part about that game is, by its all success, it still doesn't have a Metacritic
1: review. That is really ironic.
2: Yeah. It it didn't get much attention because the spike started from China because it was a Chinese-developed game. And then at that time, so that was three years ago, people still had the notion that China can't make nice premium games. That all they do is, you know, rip off and play mobile games. Hmm. So it was one of its kind when it first came out, hence why it didn't get any press attention. Yeah, so before Sinner, we had that, and then we did a few games, China only, that we were the publisher on the China side, like Anima, Blues and Bullets, uh, Ziggurat, so we don't really have a specific genre for the games we work with, it's more of a, the team plays the game, and if everybody likes the game, and we think we can work with the game, and think they can make the most out of it, and the game can do well in West and Asian regions, and we just sign developers. Don't have a real style that these are the only type of games to work with. Very cool.
1: I know I have talked to a lot of different international developers since my time of being a journalist and going to some of these bigger conventions, and it always fascinates me, like, the type of games that are made in different regions by different people. I know I spent a lot of time hanging out with some German developers and some Spanish developers. Right. So it was really cool to see, like, what they were working on and what they were inspired by and, you know, the type of things they wanted to make. Um,
2: actually, yeah, one of our games is coming out in A Brill is from Spanish developers, Yuppie Psycho. Well, Spanish and French. The team is split. Very cool. What was the name of it again? Deep Psycho? Yuppie? Yuppie? I'll just type it out in chat because I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Yuppie. (laughs) All (laughs) right. It's like a first job survivor horror game.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. I got a press release on this, I think, a while
2: back. Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On the side note, before I joined another indie, when I was at EA, I worked on uh, The Army of Two, first one, and then uh, Need for Speed Carbon. Oh my god, I hated those canyon races. I hated them with a passion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did you end up liking Army of Two? Because I know some folks up here that are kind of into it, even though it didn't sell
0: super well.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was one of the first games that actually did the, the couch co-op, right, you know, with the split screen and everything. Went back, like, when
0: That was actually one of the games me and my little brother played a
2: lot Together. Yeah, I, I played it a lot as well with my friends.
1: That's awesome. I have seen this Yuppie Psycho game before. Yeah, so that comes out on April 24th. Uh, yep. All right, so what all types of games do you enjoy playing? Like, just what do you play in your free time?
2: Uh, now, I mean, take a guess. It's Apex Legends. Everybody's playing that damn game. It came out of nowhere. <laughs> I was on holiday and my buddy messaged me like dude you got to play this and I and I and I was stuck at like in a remote village in Taiwan with my girlfriend for the Chinese New Year. I was like damn it I want to try but I can't play. And I see on my Twitter feed and my Facebook feed that everybody's just like In that game. So yeah, it's it's pretty much Apex Legends and uh, replaying Titanfall 2. I also played Kingdom Hearts 3 from the one that just recently came out. but kind of stopped halfway. Apex is taking all of my time.
1: Like, Apex is cool because it's not the type of game I normally get into, but... For some reason, I'm just drawn to it. Mostly, I think, because it was made by the Titanfall folks. And I love the, like, aesthetic of Titanfall.
2: Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm shit at Battle Royale games. Except, actually, realm Royale, for some reason, my boss keeps telling us to play with him, so we do, and that game is just so hilarious. <laughs> Except it's very buggy on PlayStation, so half of the games we don't even get into. Uh, but yeah, with Apex, it's, it's re- really, really, really fun. Overwatch, Cross, Fortnite, minus the building mechanic yeah thank goodness <laughs> yes so i know right Zach
1: both have been playing that on on and off as far as kingdom hearts 3 goes i'm actually in a project now where i'm playing through every single one of them that i can oh my god and i just got to dream drop distance
2: you poor soul
1: <laughs> it's crazy and i'm even like gonna go back and do all the optional bosses and stuff and it's just taking i I'm, I'm basically sitting on a copy of kingdom hearts 3 that i've had for about a month And I'm just like patiently waiting for the day. (laughs) I got to beat these other ones first, though, even though I've played them before.
0: And I'm holding back so many spoilers to throw at you.
1: I know we're going to have to have a whole episode just on that. So back to Sinner: Sacrifice for Redemption. You kind of talked a little bit about how another indie became involved with the project. They really approached you guys. So tell me a little bit about the Dark Star development team and what type of things did they kind of bring to the table whenever they brought this to you?
2: Well, all of the team members are kind of industry veterans. They're in their mid to late 40s with, you know, wife and kids. Some of them used to work at Bandai and Blizzard and Namco before on other projects. Because what the big companies do is they're the development to, you know, little studios in Taiwan or China. For example, like Final Fantasy XV, Resident Evil 2, Monster Hunter. Most of that was done by small Taiwanese studios, oh. or like single developers they contracted from China but they never get credit because I guess that's in a contract so anyways I keep getting pivoted from the topic yeah so there are about eight people with a background in games which they worked on other triple A titles and then they decided they want to make their own game and all of them are fans of souls like games but because they already have family and not so much free time they wanted to have the same experience but more compact so you get the overwhelming boss fights and the difficulty setting but without the need to grind you know when you go from one boss to another in the area doing all the RPG stuff so they just want to skip that and compress it into a smaller more, more polished game so yeah that, that's what they envisioned
1: and center does it feels really focused
2: yeah well it, it's so funny because when the game released it was very split like all the media didn't really like the game but everybody who played the game in terms of streamers and content creators they just loved it like soda pop in play lobos played another another one this old guy i can't remember his name but yeah everybody loved it played it but the media didn't like it because they thought it was supposed to be the next Dark Souls. Hmm. Which we clearly stated it is not. We were like, it's not Dark Souls, there's no RPG elements, it's just Boss Battler, and that's it. They're like, oh, it's not good enough. You know, happens.
1: It's like Punch-Out! makes Dark Souls, is the way I've been describing it to people.
2: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, never thought about it. You yeah. would always just go with the uh, Shadow of Colossus slash Fury slash Mega Man. Reverse Mega Man. Lose your powers.
1: Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense, too. And that's what's fascinating about this is you do kind of feel that, especially if you're doing the run where you actually kill the bosses rather than redeem them, I mean, you really start losing a lot of your abilities and tools.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it just ramps up the difficulty even more. And that's why I initially found this project both on the Discord store, which is the first place that I think it was published, if I'm not mistaken, and then I kept seeing it on the Switch store, because I, like, every night before I go to bed, for some reason, I like to look at the eShop store just to see what's new, and and that was one that popped up, and I was like, wow, that's like Souls, but it's got a cool twist on it, I'm gonna put that on my wish list. Nice. And then you guys were like, hey, any media folks? And I'm like, oh my god, if we could just have you on the show, that would be awesome! And here we (laughs) are. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, we eventually released it on all platforms. Discord was the first one. But, I mean, like, PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch came out at the same time as Discord, but maybe one, one or two days late, depending, because launching on consoles is a nightmare. You don't really have much control in terms of launch dates, and you have to wait for the person at Nintendo or Sony or Xbox to press that button. So, yeah, it, it's very difficult to line up for it to release at the same time everywhere. But, yeah, more or less, in the span of a week.
1: I have heard that launching on PC is way easier. What are your thoughts about development for the Switch? Because I know a lot of folks say that it's fairly straightforward.
2: With Cinder, it was actually, we had a running port in like two weeks. Wow. Because with Switch, you get two dev kids. There's two different ones. One, which looks like a regular Switch, which you can take to showcases and show off people. And there's another one, which is a little bit different and more powerful. So with a game like Sinner, we had to use the other one, the more expensive one, in order to make it run initially. And then from there, you downgrade the game so it can run on your regular Switch. It was just like, I had to reduce the polygons and the mesh and, and a bunch of other stuff. So it's not as flashy as it is on PC or or PlayStation or Xbox.
1: Right. That's fascinating. I didn't know there was a second developer kit.
2: But it wasn't hard. It was pretty straightforward. Yeah. It didn't took long. It... What took long was polishing up and getting it to a consistent 30 yes.
1: Right on. And for background, I've been playing on the Xbox One. Come to find out, I actually had it on Game Pass, and then you sent it, graciously sent us a copy. I got the Xbox One. Zach has been playing on Switch. What have you thought about the Switch port specifically, Zach?
0: I really enjoy it. It's actually one of the very few games that I've played on Switch, but it's playing really smooth. Everything coming from it so far has been just positive. I've enjoyed every bit of it. I'm still not super comfortable with Twitch joy, So I don't have the controller yet, but either way, it's been awesome. I can only imagine it'd be even better with the controller in my hand.
1: I think I attempted two or three bosses and settled on gluttony. I'm like, all right, this guy's the one that's going down first. And I'm playing on the Xbox, so I've got a, you know, standard Xbox One controller. And eventually, they're like, I don't know, there's some kind of code that starts programming into your brain once you've played so many Souls games, and that code started firing. (laughs) And once I got to that point, I was like, taking down gluttony, no problem.
2: We spend a lot of time on QA to making sure everything runs smoothly on all of the controllers. Because that's one problem with, well, Asian developers in general. None of them use original controllers, you know, all of them buy these bootleg, you know, Whatever controllers you never heard of, and when they release the game, like it doesn't work with PlayStation, it doesn't work with Xbox, it doesn't work with Switch controllers, because the, the the ones they use to program it with are just some under the table made in the basement. Always a struggle for us to um, make the devs realize, like you gotta make sure you gotta QA it with, you know all of the controllers and make sure it runs, because nobody uses these Thrustmaster 9068 right
1: (laughs) that's fascinating because i've seen a couple documentaries about brazil too has a very fascinating gaming culture so what is what is that kind of like i mean me and zach are both stateside i've never done any international traveling so what is kind of the difference then between the gaming market and the types of players that are in that region for you
2: well if we're talking about asia like china and taiwan hong kong It's still heavily mobile focused because of the the whole stigma that you're not allowed to play video games as a kid and the parents don't want you playing video games. You know, everybody has a mobile phone, everybody has a smartphone, so it's very easy for kids to hide out and play their games without the parents noticing. Plus the whole thing that the console ban was only just recently lifted and PlayStation, Xbox scene is almost non-existent in, in, in China. Switch! Nintendo doesn't even recognize China as a country, so officially there's no China store or anything. So most of the games Chinese people would get for Switch would be either from a Japanese store or an American one. But the PC scene is slowly growing slowly but surely, and the developers are starting to make more premium games. But again, it's so volatile there, the government shut down the publishing process yet again, so no games can be published uh, in China at this moment. Happened for the second time in the last year. You're always living on the edge, you never know what happens tomorrow.
1: Now, is that something that's directly affecting you guys currently?
2: Oh, yeah, of course, of course. It's our business model changes as we go all the time. Have to adapt very quickly to what you can and can't do. Have you guys actually read the news about the devotion, the Taiwanese game, and what happened with it?
1: I touched on it briefly. I know I saw somebody recommending it in like some of my circles because I'm big into horror games, and so people are like, "Yo, you gotta check this out." The next day, it was like banned or removed from the Steam store or something.
2: Yeah, the game is great. I actually helped QA it because their office is very close to our office here in Taipei. But yeah, there was a whole debacle of what happened and what went down and yeah but i'll just uh, link you to a really really good article explaining the whole situation then when you guys have time you can check it out because that one is non-biased so it tells the story from china side taiwan side and the foreigner perspective but yeah so the scene here is very exciting to say the least uh, very different from the west
1: well it seems to me like not only are you guys fighting this like kind of issue with the government thing but it also seems like there's some very very cool projects coming out of china so it I, I imagine there's got to be a lot of positive energy as well.
2: Yeah, there are. But the problem is most of the, if we're talking about China, most of the developers don't know how to approach the West, and most of them don't even speak English. So it's very difficult for them to gain any exposure or recognition of South China if they don't have any connections or anything. Well, it's it's the same when when we talk to the Western developers. They have not, well, most of them don't speak Mandarin, obviously. They have no idea how the Chinese or the Asian markets work. So again, they can't get any recognition there as well. It's very difficult to get there unless you have somebody on the ground who has the connections. With them. The publishing and the marketing scene is very different in Asia compared to how it works in the West, you know, with influencers and streamers and media, etc.
1: I also think that the more and more that we allow our consoles to be completely region-free, the better that could be. Because for the longest time, we couldn't get even Japanese games or UK games because they just wouldn't work on our systems.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm all for region free especially also like it, it's another nightmare for us as a publisher for example uh, with nintendo right if you want to release a game yeah you need to contact nintendo europe nintendo america nintendo asia nintendo japan and it's the same with the playstation it's like five regions for the same platform it's like collecting pokemon cards and none of them really talk to each other that often so when you want to synchronize a launch date across all regions on one platform, well, most of the time it just doesn't work out because one region works faster than the other, so there's always this this synchronization that you're going to have to sacrifice one or two days depending on the launch to make it all work, yeah, sadly.
1: Wow. Well, I do hope that that ends up getting better over time because I'm the type of person that wants to see games from literally anybody who can make one. So I'm really excited to see different games developed by all sorts of different voices and hopefully that'll work itself out in the next, you know, 10, 20 years but regardless having stuff region free being able to publish things globally that's that's where it's at
0: yeah that's important we need more of that because there's so many different experiences that we're not getting like i've been learning about them much more recently probably since i met alex there's So many things that I want to try that I know I can't read because it's in another language, but I would still try it. I just want to try them all.
1: (laughs) This is why I've wanted to learn a second language, not to, you know, have a conversation with people in my friend circle or whatever. I don't have any, like, specifically folks that only speak one language and not English, but uh, I want to play games in other languages, so that would be what would drive me to learn a second language is that I could play, you know, that many more games.
0: You'd be able to have this interconnectivity that we have with gaming now, just in like our own language, and then applying that into a whole new circle of people. not necessarily a different circle, but then you just get a whole nother great group of people that you have a way to find common ground with and you're relate to and share like an awesome art, visual, audio experiences, stories. It'd be wonderful.
1: And I think media is what connects people, right? Globally. I mean, music is universal because of what it is. But I think that games is almost to that point, too. Because if you think about a title like Pokemon, for example, is the one I always think of when I think of international audiences. There are people that enjoy Pokemon all over the world. And those games usually come in upwards of 30 languages. So it's really cool to connect with folks through gaming, you know, no matter where they're from.
2: Yeah, we're living in a really, really great time right now, especially with all the borders opening up, and you can freely travel. Cause I remember in the in the freaking nineties, when the Soviet Union collapsed, couldn't even leave the damn country. <laughs> but now it's 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 a lot easier.
1: Hopefully, that continues to get better. So back to center. What all enhancements and changes did the publishing side really kind of help with? And what all things did you guys kind of add to the overall development?
2: Well, like I mentioned before, we pretty much handled all of the QA of the game to make sure it runs well on you know Switch, Xbox, PlayStation. PC with all of the controllers we also made sure the game is balanced so we ran quite a few closed beta tests on our own discord with our community to help test out the bosses and their abilities and the iframes the very limited that they are Uh, (laughs) we also helped pretty much write the script for the game as well. So we helped with the, with the game design quite a bit. So the English text was pretty much written from us.
1: Right, a lot of the script is between boss fights sir, to introduce the boss fight.
2: yep, yep, yep. And yeah, also a little bit with the art direction. And we did all the localization as well into all 11 the languages. I think, I think that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And generally pointing a bit pushing developers in the right side of things <laughs> because again the mentality is so different between China and the rest of the world that sometimes it can be challenging to try to get point across devs right yeah
1: I worked on a small indie project called Bane's Redemption about I don't know two or three years ago it fell through so it's not even worth looking up now but I remember having a conversation with my programmers about creating keyboard support for the game because we didn't have that yet. And they're like, well, everybody has a controller. I'm like, that's not always the case. We need keyboard support. It was just funny. Like, they hadn't even thought that that was needed.
2: In our case, it was the opposite. We are like, guys, are you planning to add controller support? Like, no, just keyboard and mouse. Really? No, 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 no. no." (laughs) Can't do it. Not with a Souls game. Not with a Souls game. But it was really funny, because when I was at Gamescom last year, because we were showcasing there at the Discord booth, and like four out of five gamers would come to the booth and be like can i have a keyboard and a controller please i can't play it with a uh, keyboard and mouse i can't play it with a controller i was like wait what like this <laughs> you know what game this is i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. I, I played all the dark souls games with keyboard and a mouse like I, we, we, we i don't use controller what the hell i mean
1: more power too in
2: germany like <laughs> anywhere else everybody wants a controller well except asia but in Germany, everybody was like, I'm, I need my keyboard and mouse. So I was like, well, oh, damn, this is so weird. <laughs> That's fascinating. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I was really surprised. Because I know a
1: lot of times if you're like reading through the tips for Dark Souls, they're like, immediately plug in a controller, step one. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, there are lots of people that are super good at these games. One of my favorite places to kind of watch this in any Souls game is the speedrun community. I mean, we talk about games done quick all the time. I was a speedrun cover there for the longest time at Twin Galaxies. So are you guys aware of the speedrun community? And has there ever been any point where they're like, hey, we really like this one exploit And did you guys, like, keep it in or make it easier? This is stuff that I've talked to with devs before.
2: Uh, Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, That's why we added the new um, modes and challenges into the game uh, with different handicaps. And we plan on adding more. There haven't been any exploits discovered so far, but yeah, we, we have quite a lot of people speedrun the game. I think the fastest one was like 29 minutes. Ooh.
1: Yeah, I was watching one last night that was about 35.
2: We have quite a few members still doing it on, on our own Discord, but yeah, 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 when the game first came out, we had a lot of streamers doing speedruns on Twitch. That's
1: awesome. <laughs> I love those folks. Some of my favorite people in the world.
2: And uh, Yeah, and we plan to adding, like, specialized uh, streamer challenges. Oh, cool. Like, contact the streamers. We're going to give them a list of handicaps and be like, hey, these are the list of handicaps. You can, like, choose and pick your own modes, and then we can name this mode after you and put it into the game.
1: That'd be really cool, especially if you guys did, like, prizes or something.
2: Yeah, that's the plan.
1: I used to do this thing, like, yeah, I used to do this thing at Twin Galaxies called the, uh, oh, I don't remember what it's called now. But we used to talk about, like, the highest scores that were submitted during the week and, like, the ones that were really interesting. And at the end of each week, I would always put out a bounty, like, okay, now for this week, I need scores for Metal Slug. And then people would never bring back scores, but it was a cool idea. So I think a bounty system, too, for you guys would be super interesting. All right, we've talked a lot about marketing, especially because you all have the, the interesting geographical location, but... It seems to me that marketing is kind of taken a backseat in a lot of cases. I've seen so many games published with little to no marketing or just organic marketing and they'll sell like hotcakes. And then you see games where they'll spend millions upon billions of dollars and not sell nearly as much. So what are your thoughts on video game marketing and kind of today's environment where all of the the like online stuff is available, especially for these smaller projects?
2: Well, the thing is, everybody's struggling right now because Steam is a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to gain exposure and to please the algorithm and all the other smaller distributors say like you know g or g or hio they don't really bring in the sales it's not there so the effort you have to put into maintaining another build and support it with the updates and then there's the financial part of you know distributing the money and when it's like only a few hundred bucks and you have to it's just, it's just a huge strain on resources. So small indie studios can't really do it. Right. But when it comes to bigger platforms like Epic Store or Discord, so there's always that thing that you get something in return from them for you putting your game on their store first or doing an exclusivity deal. So it also can help some studios, although the consumers are not that happy about this whole situation, but hey, it's the industry and the developers need to eat and put food on their table because as it stands now, we with steam if you're not that top 0.1 percent your game is not gonna sell simple as that because people say like oh like look at this indie game he didn't do any marketing and like oh, it, it sells like a shit ton of copies i'm like well yeah it's lucas strobe and his previous game papers please like he's a massive title so yeah he can release a game and not do any marketing and it will sell but then there's hundreds hundreds other games that launch with marketing or without marketing and they just get drowned out by some type puzzle game that's currently trending. It's a tough one.
1: Yeah, yeah, you never can tell. It's just such a weird place.
2: For what we're doing is, and what I've seen a lot of people as well, you just have to focus on your community and try to build your community so when you release a game you already have those a couple of thousand people who are hyped and excited for it and they will, you know, retweet it for you, share it around, talk about it, buy it write the reviews and so on so really it's all community oh, and of course you know streamers and influencers help but well in compared to like five years ago people would watch twitch streamers or, or mixer didn't exist was or whatever uh, uh, they would watch the streamers but they would watch the uh, for the games right but now most of the people who watch all these big streamers they don't really care what games they play they just watch the streamers for themselves for the entertainment purpose So a lot of the times it doesn't transfer into sales as much as it used to before.
1: Hmm, I see. One of the things I saw somebody talking about, either they're going to do a panel at GDC or it's one that's already been done, but it was about picking your champion and making sure that your champions are like, you know, they they have the right information, they're excited. And then a lot of that marketing can come organically from those folks, like you said, your little community.
2: Yep, 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 yep.
1: And I think that is super important.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: And, of course, I'm talking as somebody who just studies the industry. I don't have any experience in publishing games or anything, so you take that with uh, however you want to take it. But it does seem like the things that are really community-driven or things that are organically shared, things that are genuine... Like, as soon as the game is found out to have, like, pay-to-win features, that's going to tank immediately. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. No, it's that's the same thing. What happens, like, when you when you pay influencers to, to play your game, and if you, they don't really like your game, no matter how much money you throw at them, you will be able to see it from their content, that they're like, oh, I'm just doing it for the cash. And then the viewers see it as well, and they're like, ah, screw this, I'm not interested. Right, yeah. So you have to find a balance. That's
1: why I always like give a side eye to paid reviews, especially. I think you know, work with the publisher and work with the developers for anything other than reviews is like the one thing I'm kinda weird about.
2: Yep. Whereas, for example, in China, if you want to get any exposure, you need to pay for it. And that's fine. Like it, 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 there, culturally, it's absolutely acceptable. Yeah. But try messaging Kotako and saying, like, "Hey, here's fifteen thousand dollars. Write an article about your game. You're gonna be blacklisted, <laughs> and your your career will be over." Yeah. So you know that's you can't do it in the <laughs> West, but that's how Asian markets work. It's all about connections and personal relationships.
1: Yeah, that's that cultural difference. Yeah, it's definitely a weird time, because we have. We've seen, especially with Anthem here recently, we've seen a couple people claim to be blacklisted. Now, I don't know the full situation, but I've seen a couple bits and pieces on Twitter. But it's just a weird time. Like, you want to be able to support your influencers, but you also don't want to, like, influence them with the financial gain or, like, the perks or anything. It's a weird situation, because I've been there. I've been to these, you know, fancy press events, and, you know, it's just, it's strange.
2: Oh, I I know. You're talking about that. YouTuber who who posted, who was part of the EA uh, initiative and then he posted a video about Anthem Yeah, and he didn't like it and then EA said, like, you need to take it down. You need to take down the watermark. Like...
1: And I think the EA like PR guy made some sort of statement about how it was supposed to be a different watermark. I mean, I don't know the full situation. I don't think anybody ever will. But it is a weird situation between the connections between developers and people that create stuff. Especially when they're creating stuff when there's financial gain involved. It's just a strange situation. <laughs> it,
2: it, it's always very tricky.
1: Because I have been in the situation where I've been shown a game and I'll give my feedback and I'll like talk about it but then I'll turn around and when the game finally drops if it doesn't like for example I did a piece on the DLC for Final Fantasy 15 specifically the Gladio one right and so I was you know at the event getting shown all these different Square Enix games they made us launch it was cool I really enjoyed it you know that was something that I mentioned in my overall like preview like hey this is the type of experience that I was in but then when the DLC actually came up and it was time for me to review it I didn't score it very high because it just wasn't as good as like that little demo like that little demo was basically the whole thing. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> it, it's one of those things I don't want developers and, and publishers to like hold that against the reviewers or the content creators. And that's why, especially when I'm working with other writers... If they gave me a review and they're like, they score it at a four, I'll defend that four till I'm blue in the face. That's what they thought. Okay, whatever.
2: <laughs> well, that, well, that's the thing. It, it's weird. Uh, it's such a strange uh, situation. If you, if, you, if you send out your review copies, like, you, you, you have to expect, you know, if, if they're going to be a bad review, it's going to be a bad review. Like, if you start bashing the media or tell them to take it down, it's just going to make things worse. Yeah. For example, we had a guy from IGN, when, when he reviewed Sinner, he gave it like a, a six out of ten. But the video he made was really nice and he brought up some legit points and concerns which he was like, alright, fine, like, fair enough, like, yeah, I agree with what you said, you know, and I'm gonna be emailing IGN saying like, oh my god, take it down, how dare you rate the game so low, you know, it's just, it is what it is.
1: Right, yeah, that's the thing that I really hope that most publishers, and most of them probably do, they, they probably take that approach. But every now and again, you find one that are like, "Why did this person give it a seventy percent?" Like, oh, well, that's what? the thing. Did you read the review?
2: <laughs> if they back up their points, why they think the game is not good enough, or why it's rated that way, it's fine. But then we got a bunch of reviews from like a smaller website, and it's you you read it and it's clearly like the guy was just bad at the game. Not try to sound elitist, but like he just wasn't good enough, you know? Well, yeah. I myself, I'm not good at Souls games, so he wasn't good enough. And then he didn't like the game, and then he gave it like a 2 out of 10 I'm like seriously man Like, are you for real <laughs> so sometimes like these type of things piss you off but big outlets well yeah they do that sometimes as well yeah who am I kidding uh, but in our case it was yeah, it mostly smaller websites and you can see that the person who reviewed the game just didn't like the game so they just rated it super low because yeah they get good <laughs> <laughs> we get that in steam reviews as well sometimes they're like oh my god it's too hard refund it i'm like okay but why, why do you even negative review you don't like the game Fine. It's, it's not yeah, like you the- could
1: probably tell like the type of game that it is I don't know, but yeah, I always find myself, in, and I like think about these things, just like, I don't know, it's it's a weird environment, because I don't think any other media environment's quite to the extreme that the video game is. Have you watched the news? No. (laughs) Well, I try not to. I've been involved in, like, straight-up news productions lots of times, and somebody's like, oh, did you see that story? I'm like, no, but you, you were there for the broadcast. I know. <laughs> Just because I'm there doesn't mean I'm paying attention. Even when I'm, like, producing it half the time, I'm not, like, really listening to the other situate. I don't know. Like, when it comes to regular everyday news, I kind of tune out and focus on one particular thing, and it- it's weird. But one thing that I did want to talk to you about, Vlad, is why do you think players are drawn to such, like bleak ultra hard experiences i don't know why but i am one of those people and it seems like there are more and more games that like push the boundaries of difficulty
2: i i'm asking myself the same question because i am not one of those players i guess especially when it comes to like hardcore games you get trophies you get achievements you get recognition so kind of makes the player feel better about themselves, makes them feel special. If you're on PlayStation, you get the platinum trophy of this super hardcore game which only like 0.1% got in the world, so you feel like, ah, yes, I'm better than anyone else. And everybody wants to feel special sometimes. And I guess to prove their skill and get recognition from the community, and you know, some guys just like to torture themselves. <laughs> My roommate is the same. Like he loves these hardcore games. I don't think he's really good at them or anything, but he just sits there and then he gets angry. But then he comes back and keeps playing. It's always a mystery.
1: I have lots of friends in the Mario Maker Kaizo community, and it always amazes me to watch them like struggle on a single level for forty hours. But when they finally get to that goal mark and they succeed, it's like the biggest, I don't know, it's like a an adrenaline rush times three. Like, it's so
0: cool. Exactly. That challenging stuff gets your heart pumping. It's, it's like life or death without the risk of actual death. Yeah.
2: You get that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm.
1: But when you're down to the wire and center, you have no, like, spears, no health, and no potions, and you make that dodge and just muscle through it. It's great. It's such a great feeling.
2: I do get that, but I, I, I never have the patience myself to to stick through it with like tens and tens of hours. I, I, I just can't do it. I get agitated real fast, and then I get pissed off. And I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to go play some Kingdom Hearts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Every now and again, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to play a PS3 shooter and beat the entire trilogy in a weekend. Like, that's what I'll do. <laughs> I'll set it to easy. Like, whatever.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do that sometimes as well. I was like, I just want to go through the story. I don't have time to, you know, do it on the hardest difficulty and get all the trophies. I just want to experience the game and be done with it. Yeah. We don't have free time. So much work. Always working. Especially in our industry.
1: I like that most games do have that difficulty selector though, because I have friends back home, and I'll go ahead and shout out Timmy and his dad. And Timmy and his dad always played things on the absolute hardest, and it was so cool to watch. Yeah. Because they would go through like all the Hitman games, they went through all the Resistance games, got a War top difficulty, and they'd spend weeks on it, but they'd eventually get there. It was awesome. Nice.
0: Yeah, that's what me, like EJ and Travis, and them would do growing up. So we just sit in a room and bash our head against the wall sharing the controller
1: oh it was a great time to come over and like oh what level are you guys on this week oh we're on this one and then i hadn't played the game of course they'd hand it to me and i'd get past it and they just kind of look at me (laughs) i'm like i don't know i used a shotgun here
2: (laughs) battle toads that's the true test oh my god
1: no, oh, they're making a new one our friend rob over at the argcast the another retro gaming podcast probably the biggest battletoads fan i know he like jumped up in his seat whenever that was announced
2: yeah i'm looking forward to that
1: he's talking about getting a battletoads tattoo
2: oh god <laughs> With the (laughs) boots,
1: But, uh, Vlad, one thing I do want to ask you before we... Because we don't have a whole lot of time left with you. Is there any other exciting projects aside from Center that you would like people to check out?
2: Ah, well, I mean, you can always check out all of our games, which are all great. (laughs) (laughs) But if you like... Damn it, we, didn't, we haven't announced those. Because we have a few titles that we haven't an- we signed, but we haven't announced yet. Right on. But you can check them out if you're at PAX East in, like, what, a month? Oh, my God, it's in a month.
0: <laughs> right? I wish I was going. Oh, my gosh. And Vlad lost an extra hour of sleep every night from this night. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, because, like, we're going to GDC, and then from GDC straight to Boston. So oh, wow. it's always great. Quite- Exciting. Anyways, yeah, uh I mean you, you can check out Neverins, which is RPG roguelike type of uh not not boss battler, but it's more of a. Man, I don't even know how to explain it. I'm not doing myself any favors here, like oh you're a publisher but you can't beat your own game. <laughs> Anyways, it, it's a it's a 3D roguelike uh yeah, with a certain anime style to the main characters and it's also randomly generated dungeons so you you start in a labyrinth and you make your way through it fighting all the monsters and then at the end there's a big boss fight so that one is coming out in early access also in april and then Yuki psycho if you like your uh, survivor horror games and then we have a few more which i can't talk about (laughs)
1: <laughs> but either way, those are the titles that'll be at PAX East, right?
2: Yeah, plus others that I can't, can't announce yet. Uh, we also have Axe, which is a, a four-player online and local co-op, which is kind of like, think of the Super Meat Boy multiplayer. Okay, yeah. They're like super uh, hardcore platforming with like an axe mechanic, which you use to teleport and dash through the air and to avoid obstacles. Hmm. That sounds awesome, actually. (laughs) And the other two unannounced games, one is like an eldritch horror game, Survival, which is also quite difficult, and another one is like a 2D side-scroller, Metroidvania, which is also quite hard and difficult.
1: I am down with Metroidvanias. If you look at our podcast list episode, you can probably find that out.
2: Yeah, so, so you'd probably enjoy that, yeah. That's awesome.
1: One year here soon, we will definitely be at more of these events. Me and Zach both. Absolutely. But I'm in Alaska, and Alaska is a hard trip.
2: Oh, God. Yeah. So, I mean, you made far. the drive
0: from West Virginia to Canada across the bay
1: yeah. into Alaska. Yeah. I mean, I've done it, but it's just, it's not in the cards quite yet. <laughs>
2: Well, they're certainly fun like for us as a publisher because most of our developers can't travel due to you know limitations and a lot of them don't speak really good English so we have to handle all the conventions so it's for us it's just like oh well, yeah the year starts with Taipei Game Show then it's GDC then there's PAX East and then, then, then there's like reboot there's, there's Bit Summit in Japan and there's China Joy PAX Australia PAX West Tokyo Game Show Gamescom <laughs> the list is quite long yeah. right on so we spend like like a good five, six months on on the road, yeah.
1: And I imagine it's a ton of work, but it's gotta feel a bit like a vacation, right? I mean, y'all get to do this awesome traveling and well, talk to all these like really. Well, it depends.
2: Folks. It's definitely super fun, but when you get back, you have like a ton of work you have to do, especially when, when it's like releases or oh my, I I don't I can't even count how many games we launch from hotel rooms because we're on the road somewhere or or we're stuck. Like two years ago, we everybody got stuck in Boston because of no storm.
0: Oh yeah.
1: I was there that year! <laughs> it was awful! Ah, nice!
2: <laughs> our deaf friends from Australia, they already checked out their hotel, so we had about 10 people in our Airbnb, just spotting, waiting for their flights to be back on track. But the good part was that's when the Nintendo Switch just came out, so everybody was playing uh, Breath of the Wild and fucking snipper clips. <laughs> yep, yep.
1: I don't think I... I couldn't get my Switch before no wait maybe I got it like the day before I went to PAX East and then I left it at home and I was like man that was a dumb idea <laughs> but no I got stuck in New York that time with Andrew so shout out to Andrew for keeping me sane and for having his mom pick up a hotel in New York that was crazy and then shout outs to my boy Brandon who picked us up he drove from West Virginia to new york to get us oh god it was awful kind of him and i uh, could probably never repay that debt that i owe him
2: <laughs> well done
1: but yeah that was that was exciting i loved that week and both hated that week all at the same time it was a trip
0: i remember that's the one i wasn't able to come to yeah
1: yeah yeah that was the one where remember i was stuck for the longest time when i got that real bad mm-hmm. snowstorm i do remember that was right before kim left for alaska oh yeah it was like literally the day before <laughs> I got home and passed out and then got up for a few hours, hung out with her, and we packed her and sent her on our way up here to Juno. It was a trip. But yeah, so um, let's wrap up with just talking about some games we've been playing. Like I said, I've been playing Kingdom Hearts. I'm also playing a little indie title called Reverie, which is kind of like Earthbound style meets Zelda gameplay. It's really fascinating, and it's got a lot of, like, Islander culture in it. So it's cool. I kind of like it. And I did just get the PSVR. My wife... Got obsessed with Moss, and we bought it, and I'm playing and doing everything that I can with PSVR. I just got the Rick and Morty game today.
2: Oh, nice. Get Beat Saber. Wait, is, is it on PlayStation VR? I think it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's on PSVR. I don't know if you can add custom tracks like you can on the Windows version, but I've also been told that it's easy to set up the PSVR on the PC, so I'm going to give that a shot.
0: Ooh. Zach, what have you been playing, man? I've still been playing Fortnite because I've been writing all that stuff around it in between other content stuff we've got going on apex legends of course i've uh, not very much because i'm a god-awful shot in the game
2: join the club
0: <laughs> i don't know why i just can't kill people in it it doesn't work very well but uh i recently picked up smite A bunch of our friends from uh high school have started playing it again and me and toast have been playing a whole bunch of it are you playing on pc i've been playing on playstation
1: oh okay because it also just came to switch
0: yeah with it's doing cross play on everything but not sony because you know sony's like fuck that of course (laughs) i will forever berate them about not ever doing crossplay and then seven days to die i had it forever and i picked it back up to check out the differences on pc versus console and then i forgot that they were supported by telltale games on console so it's kind of dead in the water until fun pimps gets their rights back
1: yeah seven days to die is a completely different game on pc
0: it's so awesome it's really hard
2: right now really hard
1: and then vlad of course you said you've been playing some apex and doing some qa testing
2: uh, yeah yeah mo- mostly apex and then i actually started playing um titanfall 2 campaign again
1: <laughs> nice i've played through it at least once
2: yeah that's about it we just every, every time we come back and uh, it's just like apex go to bed Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, it's really nothing else besides the game we need to help with QA and uh, play through all the submissions we get, which some of the games are really cool, but some of the games are in a very, very early stage.
0: Right, yeah. So can I ask you a really random question, Vlad? Sure. Can you tell me about your sick ballet skills? Oh, goddammit. Oh, (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) I saw that on Twitter, and I'm like, we should bring that up, and I forgot, uh, but yeah, Stel. Sure.
2: Yeah, no, I I was a professional ballet dancer for what, 16 years, yeah. I danced in the in the Royal Ballet in Spain. Wow. And one in, in London, then the one in Russia in Mariinsky and then the Royal Danish Ballet. Yeah, so I danced for three Royal families, the one in England, the one in Denmark, and the one in Netherlands. My, last years, I was working in the Royal Dutch Ballet in Amsterdam, and yes, I can do this. Sp-
1: so I expected something pretty cool there, but that yeah, is that's, awesome. that's absolutely <laughs> Congratulations. mind-blowing and That's fascinating. really cool.
2: That's um, fantastic. can still tread my legs, yo. <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: I can't even bend over and touch my toes. <laughs> Alright, Vlad, we really appreciate you coming on to the podcast with us. It's been super cool.
2: Hey, no problem. It's fun.
1: Anybody out there that wants to check out what they're doing, simply look up another indie on Google. You can find their website. Oh, yeah. Also, check out Sinner Sacrifice for Redemption. It's on, like, all platforms, so definitely check it out. I'm playing on the Xbox. I think it's sweet. And Zach's got it on the Switch, which is also very cool. Yes. So we do thank you all for hanging out with us. Before we go, we do need to thank our Patreon supporters. We have one. We've had one for the past three months, and we can't. Can't thank him enough. My buddy that lives up here, Legend of Moriad, thank you very much for being our first and only Patreon supporter. If you want more information, simply look up patreon.com Forever Classic Games. If you want to send us an email, shoot us a message at the Forever Classic Podcast at gmail.com. You can f- also find our Facebook page at Forever Classic Hub, and our Discord link is in the show notes if you want to find that. If you want to find me on Twitch, I'm Forever Classic 105. We also have the Forever Classic Games Twitch channel that's a joint channel between me and Zach and whoever else joins our ragtag little adventure and then you can also find me at the number four ever classic 105 on twitter and zach where can we find you my
0: friend you can find me on twitter at exquisite underscore liar because it's the only place that i can't have it as all one word find me of course on twitch.tv slash exquisite liar and, of course, you can find everything else about us on foreverclassicgames.com.
1: Yeah, I probably should plug the website every now and again, should I? Yeah,
0: hey,
2: uh, <laughs> Vlad, where can we find you? Oh Well, like you said, if you Google another indie, it literally comes up with all of our shit. <laughs> and for me personally, Stutsis on Twitter, Instagram, whatever, it's, it's the same name everywhere. I actually misspelled studies in chat once. I was like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to keep it. That's awesome. Oh, that's
1: where it came from. Yeah. That's funny. I, I, I,
2: I, misti- I typoed. My original
1: username is lavitz105 which comes from the ps1 classic legend of dragoon and then somebody
2: took it and gun gale online oh nice if you like legend of dragoon you should check out le grand legacy one of our other games it was heavily inspired by that one it's a JRPG, also on switch NPC. I've seen that, but I never like looked deeper into it. If it's
1: inspired by Legend of Dragoon, I'll probably <laughs> pick it up. So I'm putting that on the list.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the devs are huge fans. What was it called? Legrand something or other. Legrand Legacy. I'm looking at screenshots it, right yeah. now and it looks great. They're from Indonesia, so if you want them as guests on your podcast, I can just sync you guys up then you can actually talk to actual developers and not some publisher.
1: Oh, that would be cool, too. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. We might look into that. I know, I think Zach is chomping at the bit to talk about Kingdom Hearts 3, so I gotta get through that sooner rather than later. But yeah, that (laughs) definitely sounds like an awesome plan. All right, so anybody listening, thank you so much for listening to the Forever Classic Podcast. As always, stay cool.